0: It seems kind of hopeless right now, but you're going to figure this out. This is pretty
1: debilitating. I'm able to turn my pain into purpose. There are people out in the world that do understand what you're going through. Welcome to Major Pain. I'm your host, Jesse Mercury, and this week we'll be speaking with Kimberly about having a C. diff infection. C. diff is short for Clostridioides difficile, and this is a bacteria that Kimberly became infected with after a round of antibiotics that were used to treat a parasitic infection. And this entire saga spanned the course of 10 years. In her early 30s, Kimberly started experiencing symptoms from the parasite. At first, it was intermittent issues of needing to rest to the bathroom, having diarrhea, and she didn't seek medical attention until about 7 years later, when things started to get more severe. But her primary care doctor just brushed Kimberly off, telling her that these gastrointestinal issues were just anxiety, and refused to dig any deeper. Kimberly just got worse and worse, getting to the point where she could barely eat anything at all, and in desperation, she searched for a naturopath. The second naturopath she tried proved to be extremely helpful, ordering a stool sample and discovering that Kimberly had been living with a parasite that had been making her sick and robbing her of nutrients. Kimberly was put on antibiotics for the parasite and briefly got better, but then the C. diff infection struck and Kimberly was worse off than ever. C. diff infections often strike after a round of antibiotics, and that's exactly what happened to Kimberly. Luckily, her naturopath was willing to try something a bit experimental with a fecal microbiota transplant, or FMT. This is when contents of a healthy microbiome are transplanted into a person who is suffering from something like C. diff. And thankfully, this procedure worked. At the time of this interview, it had been about three months that Kimberly was living in recovery from her C. diff infection. This is a fascinating conversation on several different levels. We learn about things we've never talked about on the podcast before, and I always love when that happens. But it's also a deeply upsetting conversation to hear about the horrific medical gaslighting that Kimberly has lived through. I'm so impressed with her resilience in pushing through, advocating for herself, and finally finding answers. It makes for a fantastic episode of the podcast that I'm so excited to share with you, and we'll jump into it in just a couple minutes. Last week on the podcast, we spoke with Jeff about trying to solve his medical mystery that he's been living through, and I got so many interesting responses. I really want to share it all with you, but I'm going to wait until next week's show. So, uh, next week on the podcast, I will dive through all the feedback that we got, um, talk about some of the theories that people had, read some emails that we got, but I just don't have the time this week because I'm a little late getting the podcast ready. Um, I actually had a really wonderful couple of days, and then a really hard couple of days health-wise. I felt really good. I did so much stuff, and then I crashed really, really hard, and I wasn't able to start working on the show uh, until it was almost too late to get it out on time, but I think I'm going to actually make it, get the show out on time, but in order to do so, I'm just going to keep this intro really short and just tease you that next week on the show, we'll be able to talk about last week's podcast, go through all that really interesting stuff. So I'm going to keep this really brief and just remind you that you can learn about all the ways to support this podcast on our website majorpainpodcast.com/support including rare patient voice where you can sign up for research studies and surveys while getting paid for your time and supporting the show at the same time thank you to the person who signed up this week it's so appreciated or by supporting the show on Patreon with monthly financial contributions. Extra special thank you to our Patreon producers, Steve Cavanaugh, Chris Fowler, Ensign Q, Trish O'Brien, and Hipster Leia. Of course, leaving us a positive rating on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you listen to the show, or sharing the show with a friend is also super appreciated. Like I said, you can learn about all these ways to support the show at majorpainpodcast.com slash support. Your support is what keeps this podcast running. And with that, we'll jump into our amazing episode with Kimberly about how treating a parasite resulted in a C. diff infection. Kimberly, welcome to the podcast.
0: Hi, thank you for having me on.
1: Yeah, I'm excited to have you here today. You're actually a friend of my mom's who connected us, and you have a major pain that I know nothing about, we've never discussed on the show, and that's... One of my favorite things to cover on the show. So I'm really excited to hear your story today.
0: Well, I'm happy to share it, I awesome. think.
1: <laughs> <laughs> well, Kimberly, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself?
0: I am a 43-year-old woman. I live in Portland, Oregon with my husband and my dog. Although um, he would say I should say that in the reverse order. I live with my dog and my husband. <laughs> um I don't work. I like to say I'm retired. I'm an artist. I knit a lot, but I do all sorts of fiber-related crafts. Awesome. Which have saved me in the last few years.
1: So knitting is your primary fiber craft?
0: It is, yes.
1: What's your favorite thing that you've knit?
0: Several of my sweaters. um, The thing I love about knitting is being able to create garments that fit me um, Mm. in my body and makes me more comfortable out in the world when clothes fit me the way they should fit me and not the way uh, fast fashion says it should fit me. And, um, and I can be creative with color and texture and it, it's just thrilling to work so hard and see something come together and, and then just fit.
1: Yeah, totally. I mean, before fast fashion, everything was custom fit to people. Yeah. Is't that like crazy to think about that that was just normal?
0: It really is, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, and I've worked really hard to learn how to alter patterns um as written to fit my body, and mm. that has been really empowering,
1: yeah, so we
0: have a we have a great community of knitters here in Portland, and that helps too, so
1: yeah, very cool, yeah, and my mom is a part of the fiber arts community, yeah. which is how you two know each other, yeah. um and I know that since moving up to that area. That's been an amazing way for my mom to meet new people, which is so cool.
0: Yeah, I just fell into it here and it's made all the difference.
1: Yeah, awesome. Okay, well, let's get into your story. So, Kimberly, what is your major pain?
0: So, my major pain is um, known as C. diff, uh, which is abbreviation for, I'm going to butcher this, but it's close, tridiose difficile. So it's a bacterium that lives in your colon and wreaks havoc on your system. Um, it's antibiotic resistant and, um, it usually follows a round of antibiotics. And I guess my first major pain was a parasite and just lots of fatigue with that and running to the bathroom, not understanding why and going to the doctor and them telling me it's IBS and, So the short of it is I I eventually got diagnosed with a parasite um, and was treated with antibiotics for that. Um, It cleared up. I felt good for about a week. (laughs) And then the symptoms started recurring and we retested and I was positive for a C. diff infection, which means that the bacteria is producing toxins. And those are what make you, you know, spend your life in the bathroom um, and cause the pain and the fever. So I did another round of antibiotics trying to treat the C. Diff. I felt good for a total of two weeks after that. And then it was back. I was infected again. My brief research, I try not to read on the internet about things that I have, but it's so hard not to. Um, One in six people who have C. Diff will be reinfected within two to eight weeks so I fell right into that um, hole. Once you've had it once, you're likely to have it again and again and again. Um, and if you are immunocompromised at all or, you know, over a certain age, I think it's 65 or 70, you, you're so likely to die from this. It's very, it, It's very devastating to your system.
1: Wow. That's horrifying.
0: Yes, it is horrifying. Um, I was lucky and was working with a doctor who um, proposed a fecal microbiota transplant, mm-hmm. which is FDA experimental, so it's not covered by insurance. But it has a ninety to ninety-six percent success rate. Wow. Um, and I'm we're in April, so I'm three months out now from having had any symptoms so it worked it seems to have worked (laughs) um i'll have to be careful um antibiotics for the rest of my life but
1: um yeah wow i have so many questions this is a lot (laughs) oh man this is also really fascinating i'm so sorry you've had to live through this but i'm so excited to 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 ask you more questions here so let's start with the parasite because that's what happened first (laughs) um do you remember how old you were when, when the parasite first started to plague you?
0: Um, It was about 10 years ago. So, I was in my early 30s, I suppose. I would have very intermittent symptoms of just this. I mean, this is all about diarrhea here. So, it's not pleasant. <laughs> but it's, you know, I, I would just rush to the bathroom. There would be no pain. There would be no warning signs. I would go and then I would be fine again for months on mm-hmm. end, you know. Um, so I never knew when it was going to happen. It, I didn't seek any medical attention for it until three years ago when it started happening more frequently. And my doctor, because I have an anxiety diagnosis, she just brushed me off with it's IBS. Mm. Um, eat on the low FODMAP diet, find your trigger. That's it. I tried to advocate for myself and tell her this felt different than IBS. When I was a teacher 20 years ago or whenever, I I did have IBS. And I, so I knew the difference. I knew that comes with the extreme pain for me. And this was just, this was no pain. It was just an urgent desire to run to the bathroom. But, you know, she just brushed me off. So when it didn't get better... Um, And when that didn't help, because I did try the FODMAP diet, I hadn't heard of that before. And it's not eating a lot of foods. It's an exclusion diet. I don't know if you've talked about it before in your podcast, but you exclude fermented foods and lots of foods that create sugar in your body. So mm. dairy and beans. And I'm a vegetarian at home. So that that's really hard yeah. to ex- exclude those things, but it didn't work. Like it didn't help. And the symptoms just got worse, and so just before the pandemic, I started seeing a naturopath because I'm just feeling like Western medicine is failing me. I don't. I, I need an uh, an alternative, right? And the first one I saw, it, w- it wasn't a good fit. Um, it wasn't her wheelhouse. She wasn't real competent. But the second one I saw just spent. An hour with me, asking mm. me all these questions, and ordered blood work, trying to figure out what's going on. She encourages me to continue the exclusionary diets to see if I can figure out what's causing this. We talked briefly about mast cell syndrome, mm. but after seeing my allergist, uh, we ruled that out because I was only having like one body system attacked at a time. Yeah, but then it just it got to the point where I could not leave the house i was if i would whatever floor of the house i was on that bathroom was off limits to everyone else like that was <laughs> my toilet um and my doctor felt i guess very much like this had reached a point where she couldn't help me it was beyond her control i need to see a gi doctor but i can't get in for eight weeks mm-hmm. um and in the meantime, you know, I'm like, what am I supposed to do? I'm, I'm doing my best to not be dehydrated, but I'm not eating anything at this point. Not much. Um, and so she starts, my naturopath started ordering stool samples. She's like, the least I can do is I can get all these tests together. So when you do get into the GI, they'll have all of this information ahead of time. And as unpleasant a thing as a stool test is, they they found the parasite it 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 was so like this parasite i have it's um a dientamoeba fragilis and they are often argued about whether or not they're even a pathogen if they even cause symptoms but my load was so heavy that it showed up on the test and You know, I, I remember going back into the doctor to see her following the the test results. And I'm being like, I'm still doing this and this and this and not eating. And I'm only eating these eight things. And she's like, stop, stop, stop. You have a parasite. We can fix this. (laughs) Wow. And the relief, because, you know, I've spent the last two years having severe fatigue, Mm. um, you know, achy joints and thinking who knows what's wrong with me and and it's all because this parasite had been stealing my nutrients you know for so long yeah so that was a relief to think i could i could fix this i can just take this magic antibiotics and and i'll be better
1: have you thought about you know where this parasite might have come from have you gone back in your memory to try to figure out where you might have picked it up
0: I mean, this is a very common parasite. Mm. It's also one of the ones that causes travelers diarrhea. Mm. Um, So we were in China maybe four years before my earliest symptoms, Mm -hmm. but but I really, I really can't trace it. And you know, what's sort of surprising is that my husband didn't have it. So that tells you how, like, it kind of depends on your own health, right? Like if, if my microbiota and my, gut was less healthy than his, less robust, then his healthy bacteria can fight off this parasite and can keep it under control. But my healthy bacteria just couldn't do it. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I have no idea where I got it. And I, I did fight with feelings of just like, if I tell people that this is what I have, they're going to think I am, you know, this dirty person that mm-hmm. But, you know, it could have, I mean, it could have been from a restaurant or years back when I was teaching, you know, four and five-year-olds who are notoriously not clean people. (laughs) Yeah. And
1: it could have been something that you you had a meal that everyone else was exposed to it. And for some reason, it took root in your body. Yeah. And not the others. Yeah. So, yeah, that's fascinating. Okay. So, you find out from this naturopath that you have a parasite. There's this huge relief. Mm -hmm. I mean, if I were you, I would have been thinking back on that doctor that, Told me it was just anxiety with so much anger. How did you process yeah. through those feelings?
0: I'm I'm still working through those feelings. Yeah. Um, I, I feel like you know, I just I lost years to that. I mean, she I went to her with this handful of symptoms. My monthly cycles had become erratic and I was having low energy feelings. It's 2020. So is a terrible year for us all, right? Yeah. And I was on an antidepressant that, so, so Zoloft, um, but I was using it as an anxiety medication, and she just kept increasing it, telling me that it wasn't effective as an anti-anxiety drug until you reached the top dose. Well, that just proved to make other symptoms I had worse, and I have since weaned off of that, and a lot of those have gone away, mm-hmm. and I'm, I am not further depressed. <laughs> I am not experiencing any extra anxiety.
1: It, it seems like the doctor was trying to medicate you out of her office.
0: Yes, very much so because she also put me back on hormones, which further I did not realize that oral contraceptives can rob you of your micronutrients as well. So there's all these things we're doing that are actually exacerbating my wow my problems. Um
1: oh man, that's really frustrating. It really feels yeah. like negligent care.
0: Yes. It felt that way. And when I thought about coming on your show, I just kept thinking, you know, if, if I can help people see that they need to really advocate for themselves, um, Mm. because I was saying, this is not IBS, you know, these are, this is, does not feel the same. And, you know, she wasn't listening to me. Yeah. So you have to find another doctor.
1: Yeah. And to not send you to a gastroenterologist when this started, that doesn't make any sense to wait for years and to try to medicate your anxiety away and not really recognizing that what she was doing wasn't working. I mean, all these things are, are negligent.
0: Yes. So it's been really hard. And I know a lot of people don't, um, I don't know, support naturopathic medicine Mm. and it doesn't work for everyone and it doesn't work for everything, but, the doctor I'm working with has just been so great about using all the tools at her disposal to to treat me wow. um, as well. I mean, you know, all the tests I've mentioned, plus things like marshmallow root tea mm. to wow. help heal the lining in my, you know, intestinal tract. So it it tastes like swamp water, but <laughs> you know, it's, it's uh it worked. It helps. Wow. So
1: and that's that's all that matters. You know, I. I've seen a bunch of naturopaths in the past. I've seen countless doctors. And in my mind, it doesn't matter what profession someone has. You know, it doesn't matter what type of practitioner they are. What matters is, are they listening and really trying to help? And are they willing to keep working with you when the first thing they try doesn't work and keep listening to you and try other things and really take an active role in trying to better your health because right. that's what you're going to them to do so naturopaths can do that doctors can do that chiropractors can do that <laughs> acupuncturists can do that but in all of those fields there are also people who are extremely unhelpful and won't listen to you and just assume that they know what's wrong with you immediately and when that doesn't work out they they try to blame you and right. in all of those fields as well so it's all about just finding that person, finding that right person, continuing to try cycling through professionals until you find someone that works for you. Mm-hmm. Um, so, it sounds like that's really what you what you did. You kept trying, you know, tried doctors, you tried a naturopath, and you tried this other naturopath, and then it finally yes. works. And then yeah. you finally start to heal.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So, I, you know, I, I took a 10-day course of antibiotics for the parasite, and yeah. it, it went away, and I slowly, I mean, I I was down to eating eight foods, Yeah, (laughs) potatoes and white rice and chicken. And I think I could still eat corn products. So I slowly start eating more things and enjoying food again and thinking, okay, this is, I feel hopeful for the first time because it had become so bad that we were having conversations about what are we going to do to change our lifestyle so that I'm not such a burden hmm. on my husband? Yeah. You know, he works from home, which is a blessing, but you know, I, I couldn't feed myself. Um, I couldn't cook for myself. I should say I, I couldn't take care of the house. I couldn't walk our dog. There were days when I couldn't even pick up the groceries. And so, you know, are we going to need to sell our house and move into someplace smaller? And will I be able to garden again? That's my other passion. Mm. And it was this moment of, okay, it's going to be okay. And then, and then the symptoms come back, but with pain Mm. this time. So now I'm going to my naturopath, going, okay, now it's excruciating. You know, this feels different, and it it took. Maybe it took a week of um, me, you know, kind of pestering her, like, I don't feel right. This isn't, I don't think this is any of the supplements. I don't, I don't think this is food related. So we retest another stool sample and the C. Diff is found. The thing I want to say here is that when it recurred, I was very grateful that my doctor believed me when I said it has a smell. <laughs> and. I smelled it again. So many things on the internet say you can't smell it, that you, there is no smell. You cannot pick it out from that, but you can. I believe I did. And she immediately ordered another stool sample. And so very quickly, when it recurred, you know, I was able to go from having the symptoms to being treated within a couple of weeks, which I don't know if I want to go so far as to say I, I would have died from this, but it it was so debilitating. And so I'm lucky that you know she was willing to, I, I guess, to be willing to skip over another round of antibiotics because that was the other course. If I was with a, a GI or I think anybody in Western medicine, they would have pushed me through another round of antibiotics. And she said, we can do that. But we can also do this FMT. I'm like, it, the FMT is 90% success rate, higher the fewer incidences of infection you've had. So let's do that. Let's yeah. do the thing that has a, a huge success rate.
1: Yeah. And my, my understanding of FMT, that's the fecal matter transplant.
0: Microbiota. I always want to say matter, but it's fecal microbiota oh, transplant. Thank you. The
1: F- fecal micro- bro- microbiota transplant. Yeah. My understanding of that is that they take someone with a healthy gut biome and they, you know, basically extract some of that microbiota and put it in a pill form yeah. that, that you can take and then it repopulates your microbiome with healthy bacteria uh, exactly. and, and whatever else is in there. I don't, you know, I don't know the details, but, um, yeah, but I, I've heard I've heard about this for years, you know. Before I had any idea what was going on with my health, this idea came up at one point and my sister was always saying, If you ever do that, I want to be your donor. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, I heard that from several people when I told them I was gonna do this. And I think up until recently, the method of introducing this new, you know, biome into your system was usually through a colonoscopy, like procedure, mm. but there's a, a local company here in Portland who is a stool bank and, you know, collects all of these samples. And then there's a naturopath that works with that stool bank to, um, supervise the the transplant and it, and it's just pills. Now they're kept frozen. You take 30 of them. Um, I was advised to bring, um, uh, my favorite tea, to help, Because it was very cold, these frozen pills, swallowing mm. 30 of them, and inside of an hour, I felt a little queasy the rest of the day, but that was like my only real side effect from the transplant itself. Um, I have developed post-infectious IBS, which is so much better than what I was experiencing <laughs> that mm. I'm calling it a win. Yeah. Yeah. So now I'm just still trying. There seems to be something else causing my fatigue, slowing my recovery. You know, I spent two, three years not moving much and being tired. So I have, I have muscles to rebuild and Mm. stamina to, to find. But some recent blood work has shown I had my thyroid has started, um, over, overreacting. So I'm taking some thyroid medicine now, and that has made a huge difference. And I'm hoping that's the last layer of what's wrong with me, but you never know.
1: <laughs> yeah. I mean, those periods of inactivity do so much more than you would expect. And yeah. trying to pull, pull out of one of those is extremely difficult. That's where, that's where I've been recently is, you know, I had about six years of almost complete mm-hmm. inactivity. And well, I guess that started to change once I started using a wheelchair and was able to get out in the world again. But now that we have a potential diagnosis and I'm feeling much better and able to be active again on my feet and, you know, on a bike or jogging, trying to get uh, momentum going is so difficult because if I do too much, then I crash and then I'm out for days. If I do too little, I can't get any momentum. And then it's, it's, you know, my body goes back into that state that i have trained it to be in of not doing anything Um, and like trying to get your metabolism up and get your blood pumping i think that some of my heart muscle has atrophied Um, Mm. like trying to get that the muscles in your whole entire body back up and running is extremely difficult after a period of inactivity and it affects you in a way that you wouldn't expect because you're being inactive because you are dealing with a health crisis that requires your full attention and you know, for me, like being active in that state made me so much worse that it just wasn't really possible. So it was like lower on my list of priorities. Um, but yeah, but coming out of that is is a huge challenge.
0: Yes. And people want to tell you, well, you just have to do a little bit every day. And okay. But for me, for a little bit is standing up in the kitchen for a few minutes to, you know, make a cup of tea instead of having to have my husband do it for me, you know, yeah. that for a little while, that was a big win. Yeah. And, and and just listening to people's opinions, I know everybody listening has their own story of of people giving advice. But it it's really hard when making a cup of tea is hard, and they're like, "Well, you just need to go for a walk around the block." And I'm like, "Okay, how about I walk to the kitchen first? Um, yeah,
1: yeah, it's very diminishing when people give you advice when people don't have any idea what it feels like to be in your body. It's like they don't trust you when you say how hard it is and that's mm-hmm. really diminishing because you've lived through this horrific thing that took 10 years to figure out. Yeah. And it like stripped away not just your ability to to be active but your ability to eat and mm-hmm. just to function in society and you have to build that back and that is a slow hard process um and a painful process but it's also a place to be grateful to be because yes. it's so much better <laughs> than where you were.
0: Yes. Yeah, after the FMT I was really struggling to recover and felt like it wasn't going fast enough yeah. and trying to stay awake all day and and not letting myself take naps when that's probably what I needed. And then, you know, one day I just I just gave myself permission. Like this is just going to be the thing. I'm going to take a nap every day and um even if I don't sleep, I'm going to lay down for an hour and That made a big difference. It Mm -hmm. meant the difference between, you know, from noon onwards, this slow deterioration of my mental facilities. It was like a fog descended. Yeah. And I would just lose my words, and not just replace words with other words, but make up words. Gibberish just came out, you know, Mm -hmm. and and so taking an app meant I got another few hours in the afternoon where I was slightly coherent. And that has increased every day I take this thyroid medicine. Mm. I I recover, I think a little bit more of my energy level. And that has been huge to To know there was this other thing um, yeah. causing some of the fatigue. Um, but again, that was not present three years ago. My thyroid level was tested three year, years ago. And it was not present, you know, it was normal then. So this has been in the last year that my thyroid has started acting up. And
1: Yeah, well, I mean, who knows what what has happened because you've had a parasite sucking away your yeah. nutrients and then C. diff on top of that. And that's a, it's a wild story. <laughs>
0: yeah. Yes, and I do feel lucky that I was believed. I was on the board of one of our local knitting guilds and the people I worked with there were very supportive and understood that I could only do so much. Mm. And I suffered from when I was a child, my, after my parents divorced, I suffered from upset tummies and ended up in the nurse's office at school, not feeling good. And then being told there was nothing wrong with me, go back to class. And so this message that if I wasn't running a fever or actively throwing up, then I wasn't really sick. Mm. And so to be out in public and say, well, I, I can't go out with you guys because, you know, I don't feel well. And they're like, but you look fine. I'm like, well, yeah, but I just really, I can't, I can't be that far away from a toilet. You know, like yeah. I can't, I can't risk that.
1: That's why they call it invisible illness. Yeah. And that's why we need to spread awareness and empathy for people who are living through invisible illnesses because they are invisible. You can't see them. So, yeah. when you tell someone with an invisible illness that they're fine because they don't look unwell, like, that's incredibly unfair and it, <laughs> you know, it completely misses the point of what the person is, is experiencing. Yeah. So, and you've experienced a lot of um, pushback throughout your life. You know, it sounds like yeah. from, even from school as a child, having, you know, gastrointestinal issues. And who knows, maybe this parasite has been with you longer than you even knew. Um, And just like sucking away nutrients and like getting to the point where you just couldn't function anymore. Mm -hmm. But you've also had so many medical professionals doubt you, tell you it's just anxiety. Did those messages, like that external gaslighting, did that ever internalize and get to the point where you doubted yourself and started to tell yourself that this wasn't real?
0: Absolutely. The closest thing that jumps to my mind is not allowing myself to take naps when that's what I needed
1: yeah,
0: Um, and trying to force myself to be able to do things that I, I wasn't ready to do, that I couldn't do. And And there were many days, you know, before I had any diagnosis when I would just lay in bed and cry and feel helpless and like a burden on my husband. And, you know, is this the rest of my life? And you know, why can't I just be better? Um, is it all in my head? Is it, am I actually depressed? And I don't know it, you know, I, and I, I have been seeing a counselor for the last two years. And that has been incredibly helpful to keep some of those negative messages from really, really taking hold. It's insanely frustrating to try to tell a doctor, no, this is not what I'm feeling. And just brushed off on um, no you just need to eat this diet and you'll feel better yeah um and then at the same time they don't have enough time to take the time to explain the diet with you and work through it you know they just, <laughs> just go read about thing. it online yeah. just go figure it out and that's the last thing somebody with any sort of anxiety needs to do is mm-hmm. read any information on the internet you know it's uh i mean at least for me that makes it a hundred times worse to, to yeah. read about potential things and try to exactly. diagnose myself.
1: That's the thing is the potential things. Like, because when, when you do the internet research, I was just talking to a friend about this um, the other day, um, who's just been diagnosed with a chronic illness and is going down these rabbit holes online. And it's not just learning about the disease. It's learning about all the potentialities of all the possible things that can go wrong. And yeah. it puts all these things in your head that you are then worrying about and the anxiety spiral gets so much larger versus just looking into these specific things that you are directed to look at you know like just looking at a diet is one thing but like looking at the diet and all the things that can go wrong if you don't eat the diet correctly and like the worst case scenarios because the internet is going to just give you the things that gets the most clicks and oftentimes that's the worst case scenarios so it's it's really, really tricky. You know, I I have I've tried to start to limit myself about how much I research online. Um, you know, because now that I have a, a path forward and a potential diagnosis of mast cell activation syndrome, I'm doing a lot of reading about the low histamine diet. So, you know, I try to keep it to just like this item you know let's look up this one thing and see how much histamine it has in it instead of you know looking into people's horror stories about living with the disease because Mm -hmm. i'm trying to keep my mind in a positive place and tell myself that this is going to work you know and that it's going to keep working um and i just you know i i have bad days you know more often than i'd like still and I try to just tell myself, well, you just need to rest through it and get through it. And then tomorrow's going to have the opportunity to be better. Try to get that self-talk to be positive. And it'd be yeah. really, it can be really difficult when what you're reading online is like everything is awful and you're going to feel horrible for the rest of your life. <laughs>
0: yes. Yes. So, it, it would be helpful if, if doctors could spend more time with us. And yeah. really answer questions and, and give advice from a more knowledgeable place.
1: Yeah, I mean, doctors should try to eat these diets and see how hard it is, Uh, because that's the thing. I I still feel like I need to see a nutritionist. You know, my diet is so limited now, and I worry, like, am I getting all the nutrients that I need? Do I need to be supplementing? Because it was one of those things just like, yeah, go eat a low histamine diet, and I just kind of figured it out. And I found some great resources, and I got to say, you know, this is where... I just love the chronic illness community online because so many of us have lived through these things and are now trying to help each other figure it out. And I feel like that's just like a hugely helpful resource. Uh, when mm-hmm. you can't ask a doctor, you can just go ask TikTok and you're going to get a bunch of answers. Yeah, I mean, that like we can be resources for each other when we can't find those resources from the medical professionals that we go to for help.
0: Right. The other upsetting part of this story from a doctor point of view and being um and gaslighting is when i did finally see the gi doctor Mm. um i had the c diff uh diagnosis at that point right and you know i'm i'm trying to find out from this doctor if i should still try to have a colonoscopy is that something that is required and she's like you don't have c diff what i'm i'm like no, I have the test results. Like they're right here, uh,
1: you
0: know, um, and she's like, no, you don't have a fever. You don't have the symptoms. There's no way that's what you have. And I won't believe you because you were seeing a naturopathic doctor. Oh, the wow. naturopathic doctor ordered the tests. Now, granted, the tests went through Quest Diagnostics. So that's a huge, you know, well-known laboratory, right? Yeah. But still, she is unwilling to believe that I have c-diff
1: so wow
0: I won't be seeing her again
1: yeah <laughs> that's terrifying I mean wh- yeah you know I and I have a lot of experience with with a naturopath who ran a lot of tests and some of them went through uh lab core it's like the same exact test that a doctor would have ran it's just my naturopath ordered it but he did order a lot of tests where I ended up having to go to the hospital to have them done uh you know like I he had me checked for a blood clot at one point that was done at the hospital. So mm-hmm. it's, it's not like the test results are different because the naturopath ordered it. That's just this doctor being prejudiced and, you know, and wrong and deeply unhelpful. Yes. I mean, that's like really upsetting.
0: <laughs> it is very upsetting. Cause I'm trying to figure out, you know, what's the next step for me. I, I, this was in between my first infection of C diff and my second infection. Yeah. And I guess it was in, in the few days when I felt healthy, um, uh, and I'm like, do I still need to have, uh, you know, a colonoscopy. I'm worried about the colonoscopy prep, like washing out anything good I've managed to do oh, again. Right? For and, sure.
1: That is um, not a good experience.
0: So it, it was entirely frustrating to, to just be told, no, you don't have this. When I actually have a test result Yeah, showing
1: I did. Well, what that doctor says means nothing. You know, wow. it, and it's so important to be able to keep that in your mind, that, you know, we go to doctors, wrong. we're taught to trust them, but they are wrong sometimes. And when yeah. all of the evidence points at something else, including the scientific diagnostic evidence, we have to disregard what what the person says when there's no evidence to back it up. You know, all yeah. of the evidence says that you have C. diff, including the fact that you did the the FMT treatment and it helped, which like, why would that have helped if you didn't have C. diff? You know, why would those test results be positive? Why would it have come back in a way that it oftentimes does, as you've explained? So learning that we have to just let go of some of the professional opinions that we get, we can't hold them all in our brain. They can't all be right. And we are trained to believe that they are, but that can't be true all the time.
0: Right. And I did need to hear that today because I'm in the last three weeks, I'd say I've I've started having a really hard time swallowing pills, and so I think there's something going on now in you know my my upper digestive tract, mm. um, and i I feel like that's going to be a trip to the GI to get diagnosed. And obviously, I won't go to the same one. But what if they don't believe me? It, it's so that that doubt, that yeah. worry that Ugh. people won't believe you. I
1: know. I hate keeps it. you
0: from going. Keeps me from going to seek treatment. Like it's even my husband says, well, you know, it's just because you're taking so many pills right now. Like once you can get back, you know, back off some of these supplements that are their energy supplements, you know, B12 and D and all of these things, right. Trying to, to regain my energy. Once you can stop taking those, you'll, you'll feel better and you won't like, you won't need to go. And I'm like, no, no, no. There's two things going on here. There, there is this, feeling that the pills are floating on top of the water in my throat and in my esophagus right and then there's also i feel this i can feel something inside my throat like even if i haven't just swallowed a pill so i feel like and so just trying to convince him Hmm. um and and maybe not convince him but speak up and and say no wait i i'm feeling this secondary thing
1: yeah i had this feeling of uh something stuck in my sinuses for years uh-huh. and you know it made it painful to speak and impossible to sing which is really hard for me you know my music career <laughs> really yeah. took, a, took a pause um and it wasn't until i went on this mast cell medication one of which is um is for your sinuses for like calming down mast cells in your sinuses and, and inflammation in your sinuses that that feeling started to get better And it's like oh man you know, I think that was inflammation, whereas before I had no idea what it was. I thought there was actually something stuck there. Um, yeah. But like try, trying to tell a doctor about this weird thing that's like, yeah, I'd like to be able to sing also, you know, like I know that I'm having these muscle spasms and I showed up in a wheelchair, but I'd really like to be able to sing as well. Like I had never even brought it up with most of my doctors. And the right. ones that I did, you know, bringing up the naturopath, he had all these weird explanations that, you know, I, it started after I took a nasal nebulizer cocktail that he prescribed to me and it really messed up my sinuses and then he's just like oh well this is a sign of something else and we need to like drain the fluid out of your sinuses I'm like I don't know what you're talking about but you're not taking responsibility for something that you caused and I'm out and that was kind of the end of me seeing him yeah that's a whole long bad story but yeah so I I totally know what it's like to, to have something change in your body that is sort of like not necessarily the big thing that you're trying to work on but it's something that's really bothering you and bothers yes. you all day, every day, and you want it to change, and you feel sort of, like, shy about bringing it up. And I, yes. in your case, it makes perfect sense because your gastro doctor was awful, um, yeah. but, you know, I, I – and I still feel that anxiety with every new appointment – Horrible anxiety for weeks leading up to it. Like, is this person going to suck? <laughs> yeah. Is this doctor going to listen to me, or are they going to be another person who tries to convince me that I'm not worthy of care? You know, and yes. and that's just so dehumanizing. And having experienced it over and over and over and over, I, I, it's such a sore spot, a raw patch of like my soul that <laughs> I just don't want to deal sure. with it ever again. But, um. But, you know, but there are such good doctors out there. And, there are. And they're possible to find. And I am so lucky now. I feel so grateful that I kept trying because my doctors now are amazing. And a whole team of them. I've got so many great doctors right now. I've never felt more cared for, better cared for by my medical team. And it's That's great. <laughs> incredible, you know. And I, I say this all the time, but I go to a teaching hospital, the University of Washington, and I feel like at a teaching hospital, there's a higher probability of finding doctors who are more willing to listen. Um, I think that's because there is an environment of learning and progress and, you know, trying to understand the latest science at a teaching hospital. So I always, yeah, curiosity. Yeah. And I mean, I've definitely had bad experiences there. I've talked to other people who've had bad experiences there uh i've had a few doctors that i don't go back to cuz i had a bad experience but i found so many good doctors there a way higher percentage than at my last hospital so i always like to bring that up because i feel like if if people are struggling to find good care that's something new to try um mm-hmm. but holding on to that piece of yourself that knows that you are right this is your body something feels different you are right and that no one else can tell you anything otherwise you know it's you're the one who gets to say if there's something that feels weird in your throat there's literally no one else on the face of the earth that will ever feel that you're the only one so you're the only one who can stand up for it and believe yourself and it gets so hard but you know i i believe you and i feel like uh if you can't find a doctor that believes you keep trying and you will eventually uh someone who's willing to at least try to help uh with these with these things that only you can feel because that's yes. what everything is in medicine you know the patient is the is the only one feeling anything that's why invisible illness is so hard is because you know that's the the one thing where the doctor can't see it well i mean there's tons of things where doctors can't see it but they have to take your word for it and if they right. aren't willing to then they aren't the right person to see
0: yeah i i agree with you 100 it yeah so that's my next hurdle is yeah. you know. I was trying to figure that out, um, and finding the brave, bravery to go tell my story again.
1: Yeah. Um, oh, I know. <laughs> I hate that too. I always steal myself for that. Yeah. I, and you know, I've also taken liquid forms of vitamin B and vitamin D, and they've been oh. they've been great for me. Um, I actually feel like sometimes liquid oh. forms are um, more effective than a pill form.
0: Okay. I I will look into that because. I, I feel like I can swallow tablets better than capsules right now. Capsules mm-hmm. seem, I've read that they're lighter than water, so they do float. And that when you're taking so many of them, they can, it can feel like they're stuck um, and almost like heartburn. Mm. Um, but then, like I said, recently I, I can feel this other presence. I don't know what it. it there's something in my throat. Um, <laughs> you have a throat ghost. <laughs> yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah. Wow. Um, well, what have, what have you learned about yourself through this 10-year ordeal?
0: That is a, a really hard question. I, I think learning to listen to my body, um, mm. realize if I'm hungry, if I'm thirsty, have I been ignoring that for too long? Have I, do I really need to take a nap because that is more sleep, even if it means my sleep in the evening is delayed a couple of hours sleeping when I need to sleep (laughs) really paying attention to my body has become very just it's becoming second nature I used to have alarms on my phone for every like couple of hours to check in with myself and ask myself these questions are you hungry are you thirsty do you need to go to the bathroom do you need to take a nap um but I've recently been able to not just you know spread those out to like every four hours but I've actually turned them off because. It's so much more second nature now.
1: Yeah, that's huge. That's so important. Yeah. I totally hear you about accepting when your body is telling you to take a nap can be like really hard. Yeah. you know, like it's daytime. I want to do stuff. The last yeah. thing I want to do is lie down right now. But when your body is telling you it's time, fighting that you are fighting yourself and you would make yourself worse. And listening yeah. to that, you know, saves time in the long run. <laughs> it
0: does it? Does and then I'm I'm still working on accepting help and care from people especially mm-hmm. people outside of my husband I I'm pretty good at this point about accepting his help but you know my friends offer help all the time in whatever ways they can and I still won't ask I tell myself I would ask them to pick up the groceries but I won't ask them to do other things like help me in the garden or help me clean my house that just feels too weird I haven't gotten I haven't found that that yet
1: <laughs> Yeah yeah I hear you for sure and it's so important to have Loved ones that care for you. I'm so glad that your husband sounds like he's a huge support and a huge advocate for you, which is so wonderful to have. Yes. So my last question for you, if you could go back to the beginning of this journey before, you know, experiencing all of this gaslighting and before finding answers and learning that this is real and it is treatable and there's something you can do. I mean, all things aside, this is a success story, you know, like, yeah. You found the C diff, you found the parasite, you tried the FMT and it worked. And you've learned to listen to your body. And it's been it's been a nightmare, but it's a Mm -hmm. successful nightmare where you came through the other side. And I I think that over the next decade you will continue to unpack the things that are good that have come from this and -hmm. are positive that have made you stronger and more in tune with yourself. That's gonna take some time. I mean, it sounds like This is all so fresh still. But if you could go back to the beginning of the journey with what you've learned so far, is there one piece of advice you think you could give yourself?
0: Ask for a stool sample.
1: (laughs) I mean, it's such
0: a horrible thing to do, it's not a pleasant thing to do at all in any moment in time during the process of picking up the supplies and then actually performing it to to dropping it back off at the not one bit of that is pleasant but if i had said this is not ibs i want you to order a stool sample where would i be maybe it mm. wouldn't have picked it up then
1: wow but
0: i think if you're having gi symptoms that aren't obviously diagnosed it is an easy tool to try to find some stuff out. And, and, you know, it's like ordering blood work. We do that without really thinking about it, right? We, you know, the doctor says, well, I want to draw blood and test you. Sure. Okay. Well, we we could do a stool sample. And you're kind of like, hmm, do we have to? But no, you should. You should just yeah. do it. Um, and that's what I would tell myself.
1: Fantastic and, advice. <laughs> yeah.
0: And then I think the other thing that I've gotten better at in the last year, but wish I had done better all the way back would is to take notes after every doctor's appointment. Mm-hmm. Why was I there? What were my symptoms? What did the doctor say? What tests were ordered? Because I forget. Yeah, I forget. And, and then when I'm trying to tell a doctor later on, who knows what I'm going to remember or what I'm going to forget. So- my own little medical journal now. And that that's been really helpful to keep track of that myself. I know the doctors do, but you don't have access to that stuff.
1: Yeah. Great advice. And I I have had a a bunch of stool samples testing done. I think at least like four times, maybe five. And the first time I did it, I was so tickled by it because I had to mail it. (laughs) Yes. Yeah. And you just like, (laughs) you know, they give you a little test kit and you have this like little scoop and you grab a tiny bit and put it into a yeah. vial with some fluid in it. And you yeah. pop it in a box, throw it in the mail. And I was just delighted by the fact that there's poop in the mail, you know, yeah. <laughs> who knows know. at any moment, I just imagine like an Indiana Jones map with all these crisscrossing red lines of poop flying through the air, <laughs> you know, um, that, that's, that's the world that we live in people. If you didn't know that. It is. Yeah. It is. <laughs> yeah. I
0: did it that way too. And it, um, yeah, it it was sort of, strange to drop it off at FedEx and be like
1: <laughs> yeah. hey. totally you don't
0: want to know what's in this
1: <laughs> but it's an invaluable diagnostic tool and that that's great advice if you have this idea in the back of your head of like hey I, there's this test that I think would make sense and the doctor is not bringing it up you can bring it up you can say hey would mm-hmm. it make sense to do uh to do a stool test you know yeah because that was the right answer and it was
0: twice it was the right answer to figure out what was wrong with me and
1: yeah and your doctor should bring that up. But if they don't, yeah. you know, you can. And it's, yeah. it's, it's really upsetting that they didn't for so long. It sounds like your primary care was just dropping the ball over and mm-hmm. over and over. But, you know, the answers your doctor gives you don't necessarily have to be the right answers. Like, it's right. your body. It's your body, your life. And you have to take it in your hands because no one else is going to care about it as much as you do. And mm-hmm. Sometimes, you know, things are going to fall through the cracks with the doctors and it'll feel like it's supposed to be that way because the doctor said so, but it doesn't have to be. It's your body. You can speak up and, and say what you need. And if yeah. that doctor doesn't listen, you can try another.
0: Yeah. It's, it's very hard to keep doing that, but
1: yeah, it's awful.
0: It, it's, it's worth it. If you can find any bit of relief. Exactly.
1: Yeah. Healing. Yeah. It doesn't matter what a doctor says. It matters what's real. It matters what's happening in your body. And getting those answers is what matters. And if you can find a test with a positive result that yields to success, like that is such a victory. And in the long run, you know, getting there is what's important. But I think for all of us patients who've lived with something for a long time, looking back on the years where we could have had an answer and didn't is really hard. So... You know, I mean, I'm in the same boat with you in that regard, and I try not to think about it. I try to focus on the lessons I've learned and the benefit that has come from being so challenged and making it through the other side. I try to focus on that and recognize that my life would be so different and not necessarily in good ways if I hadn't been forced to reckon with this nightmare every Mm -hmm. day for, you know, a huge chunk of my life um, it's definitely made me a better person.
0: Right. And I think, um, listening to the people on your show that have suffered even longer than I have, it just, it makes me feel very grateful that, that it didn't go on any longer and that I did get, you know, I did get a test result that resulted in solutions. Um, yeah. So I'm just even more, I'm just very grateful to to feel as healthy as I do right now.
1: Yeah, I love Um, that. And that's the place to be is in a a state of gratitude. And if there's any way to find that, then that's another win. Um, Kimberly, amazing job today. This has been so fun, so interesting. I, I, wow, like what a great story too. I mean, you did such a great job. I really, really appreciate you sharing your story with us today. I know that you had some reservations beforehand. Um, You know, we were talking before, about you know, it's okay if we just chat and don't release this. But I think that this is a fantastic episode of the podcast, and I am thrilled to share your story.
0: Well, I I think I feel okay with it, and if it helps anybody, then I'm happy to share my story. Um, and you're a great interviewer, so oh, thanks thank for you. making this painless. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I really appreciate that thank you so much yeah. Um, yeah well thank you so much for your time and for your generosity and sharing your story and I'm really excited to put this out thanks thanks for listening to this episode of Major Pain I'm Jesse Mercury your host and the producer of this podcast artwork by Egg Salad Salad our theme music is the song Time Machine from my sci-fi synth pop album available at jessemercury.bandcamp.com Send your thoughts or questions to our email address, majorpainpodcast at gmail.com. You can also use that address to find us on PayPal. Tips are greatly appreciated. Don't forget to leave a positive rating and review on Apple Podcasts or the podcast platform of your choice. Find more information about this show or leave a comment on any episode at our website, majorpainpodcast.com. Dot .com slash major pain podcast.